we now have two questions on some of the early materials that we're going to refer to at Pincus. Um, during the segment about evolution, we were talking about um, the uniqueness of DNA as a life-producing um, system and the probabilities of basically the this world being created by chance. Um, I'm still not quite clear of why it's true you could say that the chance of the world being this way is 1 in 10 to the 1,000th or you know, make it as big as you want to. But it would seem to be that no matter how the world would have ended up, if there were intelligent objective observers, the way the world ended up would have been precisely that way would have been 1 in 10 to a million or whatever it would have been. It's just that the way the world ended up here is significant to us because we're humans and we live. And if the world hadn't ended up this way, we wouldn't be here to contemplate it. But no matter how the world would have ended up, assuming it was just a random series of events, would have been, I believe, equally improbable. It just wouldn't have been significant to us. So the fact that this is the way the world, it's significant to us, but the fact that it's rare that it could have turned out this way, I still don't understand how that is necessarily compelling. Uh, well, what we're trying to, uh, I think if I, um, if I believe correctly what you're referring to, the extra piece about the DNA is the following. Imagine um, you find an apple pie that's baked and someone tells you it happened by itself. So it still functions within the realm of the possibility because it's kind of a physical object. Apples do fall down and they become, if they fall hard enough, they become smashed up. We're talking about a very physical process that may or may not have produced an apple pie at the end. But let's say you find a cookbook that's together with the apple pie and the cookbook tells you exactly how to make the apple pie. Now, that is something that seems to tell us clearly that there was an intelligence that dictated it and then it happened. Because had, had the person not had, had DNA not been, or any genetic material not been uh, present, and we just find a blob of protein that has properties, so the physical argument is a long, long, long shot, but it has one level of possibility. But now we find a piece of material that's not physical. In other words, the information the DNA is not a long arm, a lot of protein. It, it's a written code it, it, it giving instructions how to produce something. Um, that's the same like finding the apple pie with the recipe book right next to it. That's, I guess, the added the code of it. Okay. Uh, okay. What else? Well, I, I guess the, uh, my broader question is just the whole idea of probabilities. Um, I mean, it, is Rebbe saying that because there's because there's an intelligent system in terms of you know laws of physics that are constant and uh, the, the the system of DNA which is sort of a, an intelligent design that that even though the chances of the world turning out this way because you have that system that sort of allows it to develop suggests that there's somebody who made it right something, and, and, whatever and the say. core point that I think we're going to, that we've tried to drive home more than anything else is um, are you being honest with yourself when you proclaim that you think it is this or that? If we take a person and uphold them by the same standards, um, for instance, 
if if you saw somebody um, go into a uh, somebody who's a dead enemy of somebody else goes into a room with a gun loaded gun and then it comes out the other person shot and he comes and tells you well uh, somebody dashed in behind right behind me and took the gun and, and shot him you, it stretches your credibility if you would find the apple pie and the cookbook together I don't think anybody's honest sense of judgment would be anything short of yes it's coming from the cookbook the fact that we w w the fact that we go through such contortions and say well it still is possible is uh, intellectually dishonest that's the point I'm trying to say uh -huh. um, like we said before we're not going to bring mathematical proofs we're going to ask ourselves um, as a believer after 120 Akarish Baruch is not going to hold us at fault for honest mistakes. Um, that's what the world of Shoghi is for, that's what the world of Onus is for. Akarish Baruch is quite fair. But when he shows us that our sense of quote-unquote true and probable is so this different, and then, then we're going to have a problem. That's dishonesty. That's the point I'm trying to prove. Thank you. Okay. Um, well, ra yes, Ozzy. <coughs> in relation to a, a quote from a scientist that Rabbi had brought, I believe he was an Israeli scientist who says in a book that goes on to demonstrate how all the various theories for the generation of life yes. are now plausible. And then he says at the end, but we still have faith that science right. can find a uh, right. solution to this problem. And uh, what Rabbi brought up is that the same kind of thing as you just mentioned. It, if you see there's something that's so incredibly unlikely, how can you possibly have faith? In right. Fact, aren't you having faith in the system? Right. Or just uh, a leap of faith? Um, the question that we had is, it seems that there are many times in the history of science where our paradigms are completely changed. We have a certain vision of the universe and the way things operate. We think the world is flat. We think that the sun is at the center of the world. Right. We don't realize that time and space are <coughs> And then science comes and turns our entire perception to the Big Bang. All these things that would, we would never think could be conceivably possible. Flight, etc., etc. Why should scientists not have a faith in a system that has proven time and again to be able to take existing paradigms where people are at a dead end and feel the solution is impossible to find, and then, in fact, find a solution to that problem that fits within the constructs of science. Um, well, the, the question at every level is not, for instance, it's, if the question was, will science be able to invent a cure for cancer, the answer would probably be yes, um, because we progress and so on. But science is offering us a theory about the w existence that we have no reason to say that that's true or not true. It's not a problem to be solved. It's a problem to be solved in a specific direction. It's just like saying, if, if someone comes and tells me he, is so, he has so much faith in science, look what they've done, they will someday be able to cure cancer with bilberry juice. Now, that I have no faith whatsoever. Um, I do believe a disease is something gone wrong, and with enough time, we will be able to find a way to make it right. But when you tell me it's going to have to be bilberry juice, then that, that, uh, that statement is, is, is completely unfounded. What you're trying to say is science will prove evolution right. I believe that if science is honest, at some point, it'll prove the truth about the origin of the world. Because science, at the end of the world, let's skip the word science, let's say research reason, 
evidence, etc., which I believe, obviously, um, uh, it will prove it. Um, but to tell me that science will prove evolution, that's like saying we're going to, that, that medicine will, will be able to find out bilberry juice curing um, uh, cancer. Uh, that, that's it, it, it doesn't follow from the fact that science has done so much, doesn't follow they'll prove evolution. It follows they will find the truth, if they're honest, and that I hardly agree with. But what the truth is, um, you know, I, I have my idea. I think the question wasn't so much in terms of evolution per se. The question was a paradigm that fits within the scientific framework of natural causes, natural causality. But, so but you know, it's like saying natural, if natural causality itself as the ultimate answer is not right, then honest science will never be able to find it. It's like saying this person is, a, uh, let's say somebody, a uh, close friend of mine was accused of a terrible crime. And I hire somebody to, um, to, to he, this person is a phenomenal detective. I can hire him to find the truth and say, since he's the best detective in the world, he's the Sherlock Holmes of the world, um, he will find the truth. The one thing I can't say is that he will find him to be innocent, because then I'm putting a supposition that doesn't exist. Um, to say that they will find natural cause ad infinitum, to explain everything, is, is, is putting down an over-conditioning that, that statement, and I think, therefore, it's not right. Um, as an aside, a very cute anecdote, uh, either apocryphal or not, there was a very famous Balmophis, the Ribnitzer Rebbe, and um, a, uh, a, a Jew who was in, in a lot of legal, um, dire legal straits came to him for bracha, and he said, Rebbe, it's terrible, my situation is really, really bad, and oh my gosh, and uh, they are, but he, he wasn't going to say that he did a crime. So he said, it's, it's like a blood libel. They, they've, they've had this false evidence against me. So the Rebbe said, well, I'd like to give you a bracha that the truth come to light. He says, oh, no, please, Rebbe, no way. <laughs> and he said, no, so what's the problem? He says, well, they, they've had this terrible blood libel against me and these false accusations. He says, well, I'm giving you a bracha that the truth come to light. And this poor fellow was horrified and... and, and I do think the Rebbe's bracha was in the sky at the end, but I'll upon him. The, the, we can't say that science will find I I natural causation to be true. Th that's putting the, it's, it's like saying we will find that we, we put a theory before the fact, and that's, that's very, very unscientific. Um, in this, w in this uh, lecture, I want to wrap up the whole union of Amuna. Even though w we, we're going to be dealing with a lot of issues of Amunah later on in terms of Torah and etc., but as far as Amunah, Barak, Kaddish, Baruch, and so on, I want to make two or three more points um, that sort of wrap up. We spoke last time about the God of History, and we said that things that are close home are going to be a lot more effective on a personal level. Um, I want to, I guess, speak about... Muna in the uh, broader sense, and then, but first let's finish up about things that are machazik Muna. The first, the one more piece, we spoke about the God of history, and now we'll speak of something closer at home, and even more maddening to prove, and that is Ashkacha Prati is in every person's life. The Reb Levenstein was famous, he would tell his uh, children he would give his girls money for every time they came up, they, they, every time they told the Mashkacha Prata story about their own lives. Um, every single person's life 
um, how he got to where he is in terms of religious observance, in terms of personal development, in terms of spouse, in terms of a job, in terms of a lot of things, can see a path of hashkacha. Now, very rarely are those stories of the nature that we can write a Pesach Kron book with it and these fantastic, extraordinary stories. Pesach Kron gets 10,000 stories and picks the two that are the most, the right, the right word for it would be, um, stories that translate themselves to everybody's reality. But every single person has a deeper inner conviction about things, a path that his life has taken him to. Um, it is absolutely unscientific because, you know, uh, it's after the fact. It's not that someone got up and predicted it and so on and so forth, but it is a lot more meaningful in terms of personal immuno than stories about Claudius Searle and stories about Adams and stories about anything like that. If we're talking about making Amuna real to you, that is probably the best. That is a very, very important way to understand. And there are times, in, to, we're holding here by Erev Pesach, and that's an extraordinary time when people recount their own sense. These are moments when a person gets a sense of Hashgach on a personal level, how he was led from one place to another place. And... Uh, how his life has developed and the different influences and the forces that shaped him and so on and so forth. Even if Chasasholm somebody's had a long string of difficult issues, there's also Hashkoch in that and some and people have that unavoidable sense of somehow a Kaddish is quote unquote stalking me. That's a, that's a very powerful sense of Amuna. It's just um, and a lot of times we're just frustrated because we don't understand what's wanted from us and so on, but it is nonetheless a very strong sense of ke'atai madi. Which brings us to, I guess, the, the, the big picture of Amuna, what Amuna is. <coughs> Once again, we're talking, on the one hand, people who will have to answer to other people, and the other hand, for your own self. And when a person is out there, uh, Amuna is something which he's called on to explain to people. And part of the need to explain to people is not just Kirov, but for his own sake. Um, nobody likes to be weird, nobody likes to be strange, nobody's been asked these questions and tested. And our real question is, what is Amuna? Um, is it totally um, just blind, quote-unquote, faith, or um, is it total reason? Neither the two are satisfactory. Those things that are total reason um, are not faith. Um, we gave the muscle of somebody gives me um, if somebody asks to borrow $1,000 and I say, fine, I need collateral, and give me a wash that's worth $1,000, that's not faith, that is um, an exchange. Th so anything that could be proven scientifically would not fall under the rubric of faith. On the other hand, a strong emotional impulse is also not faith, and the motion we gave was, if somebody had come over in the park, a stranger, and say, could you lend me $1,000, have faith in me, and uh, I say, yes, that would be uh, an impulsive decision has nothing to do with faith. The real Yisod of Amuna is the Lashon of Chazal. Mitivon shal krovim atamaketivon shal rechokim. It's like an iceberg, um, I guess inverted iceberg maybe, where we see the bottom of it and we see the outlines of where it, it's moving upwards and we lose sight of it. In other words, Emuna needs to be anchored with um, 
seichel. The reason why I'm a yid, and I believe in Torah, is not just because somebody has has uh, brainwashed me, or it's not just because of the fact I'm following rote and 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 uh, habit, etc., etc. It's because there are very strong anchors for it. Um, it doesn't have to be philosophical in nature. It can be looking around the world. It can be hashgacha. It can be klal uh, Many different ways to it. But the bottom line is there is much that suggests it in a way that we would say seichel is, is a very strong force in anchoring it. But it goes to places beyond seichel. Let's take the great example of Rama Vinu. The stories about how Brahmavina came to Amunah start with simple reasoning. The sun can't be the god because it gets chased away by the night. The moon can't be the god because it gets its light from the sun. The clouds cover up the sun, so the clouds are stronger than the sun, etc., etc., etc. The world is a circle and nothing seems to be the superior being. Um, idols uh, don't have mouth, eat, don't eat, don't, don't do anything, and that can't be um, a god. Uh, the Pasuk in Shaya makes fun of it. A person takes a log of wood, half of it he uses to make a picnic and to roast weenies on, the other half he carves it up with his arm bows to it. Th- those are um, logical arguments, and, and Chazal are full of those arguments, klum yesh, birabli balabayas, etc. But his test, is the, the, the apex of his test was the Akedah, which defies reason at any level. Um, so here we have a Muna which is anchored to um, anchored to reason and ends up way beyond what reason could cope with. There is no explanation for the Akedah, period. The explanation is that man's understanding stops way before the explanation of the Akedah takes place. Um, and therefore, it's, it's, and you can just take, imagine a little kid, a five-year-old being subjected to an operation. There's no way you can explain it. To the, you can say the words, but, they, but there's no way you can explain it. It, it. There's just no way for it. Our seichel stops way before the akeda, and therefore, that's where. So what is the pshat in that system? Besides, let's call it a test and the moon and so on and so forth, but, but let's understand it. And, and uh, I think it's very, very important to understand that relationship. Let's take it, um, l- let's take it at a personal level and then apply it A person is dating somebody, a person is married to somebody. Now, there are two components to that relationship. One component is, I like that person because of things that relate to me very well. The person is witty, the person is charming, the person is good-hearted, the person is intelligent, the person has ideals, etc. Those are things that anchor that marriage to me. And everything that I find attractive about this person are things that my seichel is toe-face, is, is, has, has a receptacle for it, and this is where it latches on to me. But the marriage requires my relating to that person where I don't understand. So in other words, every person has their own personal idiosyncrasies, or maybe I'm the idiosyncratic one, but the other person has things that just don't make sense to me. That person needs to have white flowers on the table for supper. That's where they need to have it. 
if, if so, if it's if it would be business relationship, I would say, listen, I'm not keen for white flowers. Let's stick to going to the opera and to playing Scrabble. Those are the things we both are in the same wavelength. And as far as flowers, find yourself somewhere else to buy your flowers. That would be a business relationship, and that would be me. It had nothing to do with the other person. Um, wherever we find common um, ground, that's where we are. But the otherness of the other person are those areas that are only that person and not me. So we have an extraordinary way of, in order, when a person wants to bond um, metal and wood or metal and glass, you look for a bonding agent that has the properties of bonding to wood in its way, which has very, it needs a certain type of bonding, and to, to glass or whatever it is that I'm bonding to on the other side. Um, and Muna is the agent that allows a bonding between two separate entities by the one end of it is me and the other end of it is the other person. And that's a very, very um, powerful bond and it's the only bond. So if, if Emuna was non seicheldic then completely, it had no anchors in seichel and in das, then I could be forced into it but it wouldn't be a relationship. I could not attach myself to something which I can't be shayach to. The Rambam says that in Moronavuchim, you cannot believe in something that you cannot imagine. And therefore, um, something that would be completely devoid of any contact with me, I could not, you know, I could accept it as reality, but it's not a moon in a deep way. The, uh, on the other hand, if it would stop with my seichel, then it's only me. A scientist is not, it, 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 a, a business-like relationship is not a bond. It's a sharing of mutual interests. That's all it is. Companies that do business don't bond with each other. It's, 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 it's a per-item um, relationship. We'd like to share a, a flight to, from, from New York to Tel Aviv. It, it makes sense for me, makes sense for you, fine. But that doesn't make it a marriage, and, and I'm not going to share a flight with you to Hong Kong just because it's so nice to share a flight to Tel Aviv. And um, Tel Aviv is powerful for both of us. Hong Kong is not powerful for me. Go your own merry way. There's no, it's not a marriage. A, a bond of a marriage type means is there's an anchor on my side, and it reaches to you, especially to a point beyond my seichel. If Hakadosh Baruch Hu came to us completely without seichel, das, comprehension. Um, any type of, of, of sensing it, it would not relate to me. If it would stop at the point that Seichel stops, it would not relate to HaKadosh If HaKadosh cannot be bigger than my mind, it is not there. So that is what Emuna is. Uh, um, it's, it's, it's forming the relationship that will be anchored in Seichel, but will go past it. If somebody comes and tells you, that, well, that itself is a religious statement, it's not natural, and so on, um, you know, th it's, it's, it's nice. The answer, the reply is, well, the entire world rests on Amuna. Amuna is much deeper and much broader than religious. If you walk into a doctor's office that's been recommended to you by a friend, you don't jot down on a notepad all the diplomas that he got, and then call up the university and ask them, tell me, there's a Dr. Bronstein over here that claims that he got a doctorate from you um, in this and this year. Is it true? Could you check the records? 
and, and so on. And there are people like that, that they, they usually receive intensive help. They're called paranoid people, and the world collapses for them because maybe the university is in cahoots with them, maybe a doctor pays university. There are countries where that's real. In, in Mexico, you can get yourself a doctor's license. And in, in Russia, you can get yourself, you know, there are countries where that is the system. But for us, that's not the system. And, and therefore, somebody in America who does it would be paranoid. Um, you trust uh, uh, people, you go into a drugstore, you trust that they're giving you the medication you asked for, and so on. A world without trust. So, if somebody's staying on a street corner and says, I've got some great penicillin for you, at one-tenth the price of pharmacy, you, you go the other way. And because that's not trust. But the, 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 the place that you, you say to yourself, this is a big company, it doesn't pay for them to fall around. And uh, no one's had much complaints about them. They seem to invest a lot of money making it clean and appealing and so on and so forth. I've tried it a few times and it seems to be okay. Um, that's the way we work with it. Uh, and MUNA is only is, is the relationships that the world is built on. Without MUNA, um, people would need a video camera on their spouse every minute of the day. It, it, it's just an untenable world. So MUNA is a tunus anefish that um, you build relationships by proven things to the to the unproven and so on and so forth. On a personal level, there is another aspect that is very important for a Muna to be become part of a person. And that is it has to move from the from the um, level of um, let's call it the the psychological level to the level of action and doing. Uh, it, when, if, if a person, as a person gets older and his memories, his, the memories tend to fade and become less and less um, convincing. You can convince a person that th what he remembers as a child 40 years ago didn't really happen. His memory is playing tricks with him. There's a very haunting poem in Modern Avrit by a woman, Rachel, very, very famous uh, anyone who's had the fortune of being a Zionist in some part of his life, there is um, she was a great poetess, she died young, I think, of tuberculosis and as she was dying by the, by the someone near the, the Kinneret, sh she writes a poem maybe this was all just a dream and maybe none of this ever happened and so on. You know, sort of a doubting if, if all of her experiences are just not a figment of her imagination. But anything that happened the, the, as time goes on a person begins to think maybe it's just a vague memory. That's where we are. That's where we're conditioned to, to feel and think. Um, it's only by constant experiencing and re-experiencing it that those things remain fresh and meaningful to us. So we can sit and talk about proofs for Muna, and that's nice. We can learn about things that happened at Shrine 3,000 years ago, and that's very nice. But it doesn't, it loses its efficacy and certainly not in terms of when things are difficult and troubling. Um, when, when we have some real, real obstacles in front of us and we just have vague memories, ideas, shmooz and shurim, those things don't go far. In the world of Torah, there are two things that especially reinforce emunah. One is the world of mitzvahs ma'asios. The, um, the, the uh, chinuch, makes this point endlessly. This is the point of him, all mitzvahs. If Pesach was getting together and making a speech about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, that has one level of 
um, impression. When we eat matzah, we eat mar, we drink wine, a physical activity impresses itself on our senses in a way that um, seichel does not. And that's why the need to keep doing mitzvahs is very, very strong. Um, it's just like when a person keeps a picture of a beloved one in his packet, um, or a person hangs a picture of his parents and so on in his house. You, you remember what your parents look like and so on, but there's something about having visual input that's a different type of experience. When you hear a niggin, for words that you've said all the time, and you know those words, the niggin gives you a certain type of, of sensual experience that you cannot get from just the information of the words. And that's why mitzvahs mysios have extraordinary significance. And a person should think about it when you eat the matzah. Just the association of the maisa mitzvah that you're doing together with the, um, with the idea is very powerful. So if, we were, if Torah was just ideas and history and so on, it would not anchor itself down in our personality and it would be too ephemeral for us to really kind of hold on to it in a, in a, in a, in a very, very visceral way. If we would do the maisim and we don't think about it, we lose out a lot. If a person just sits and when he eats mar, he says, life was bitter in Mitzrayim, and Mitzrayims have been for us 3,000 years worth. And a person eats matzah and he says, we picked up the moment of opportunity and ran with it. Akashpahu called, we were ready, and that's why we got to where we are. The time of the matzah reinforces very much the, 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 the event. Um, anyone who's, um, who's rare, I mean, uh, Marcel Proust's memories are, are triggered by a smell, by a taste. It's a kind of things that are physical reality carry within themselves an anchor for a lot of ideas and memories and so on. There's, so mitzvahs mysis are very, very important. Um, I'm all, I'm all, there's, a, there's a chazal that says that uh, Paltiel, uh, um, Shaul married off David's wife to Paltiel. Shaul said that she's not married to him. Paltiel felt that she was married. And um, he put a sword between the beds to say that one is not allowed to um, pass through this. I, I, I mean, it's an inanimate sword. Rav Haim used to ask, um, you know, a person's passion is very powerful. So if you'd have a guard with a sword, maybe you could stop him. But just a sword there, there saying, don't go, why would that make a difference? And the answer is, Reb Chaim had his answer where it triggers back memories of, of the resolve. But there is something about a physical obstruction. If, if police come and there's a dead body there, um, and they say, don't get close, people start inching forward just to get a look at it. If they put a piece of yellow tape around, People don't because there's something physical marking off a boundary. And it has, so for the person who's determined to get there, obviously the yellow tape is not going to do much. But for everyone else, the word no and the word I really mean no is, is marked off by a piece of yellow tape because it's visible, it's, it, you touch it when you cross it. It has a certain level of physicality. So Maisa mitzvahs are very important. A second thing of all the mitzvahs, and Revolver writes about this, in a few places, and this is a point that it keeps making, in all the mitzvahs, 
tefillah is the mitzvah where you turn face to face to the person, to HaKadosh Baruch All the mitzvahs are, if you want to sort of visualize it, HaKadosh Baruch standing behind me saying, Yankel, pick up the Lulvan Esrik. Yankel, take the, 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 the matzahs. But tefillah is me to HaKadosh Baruch Now, if every time a person davens, he simply simulates kind of, I am talking to HaKadosh Baruch that is a very powerful tool of imminence. Um, Rev. Noah Weinberg, I used to say a muscle. He uses it for other things, but, but the muscle is very, very good. If I come down, I tell people, Rabbi Yisai, I just at Sims. They have this powerful, powerful sale. It's awesome. I, I got a suit for $40. I picked up three suits, $40 a piece. So, you know, people look at me, and they, they're not sure. Am I really telling the truth? Not telling the truth. Do I have reason to lie? Am I pulling their leg? Is something, you know, whatever. But if a person takes his suit and he says, here, this suit was $40 and $3 tax, people believe it. Why? I mean, I, I, could, I could be lying and doing the same thing <laughs> whether I have the suit. The suit could be a $900 suit that I picked up someplace else. Um, the terrorist is, there's something about moving something into the world of reality that makes it um, part of you. Tefillah is the part that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I'm not talking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I'm talking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So it's not a reason, it's not a reason to base a Muna on, but if I do know it to be true, talking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, just having the sense when a person s- starts Manasseh, I am facing HaKadosh Baruch Hu and talking to him becomes a very, very powerful uh, tool for a Muna. So we have the Mitzvah Maisius, which give us feelings and impressions of physical things. Um, also the idea, words lose themselves. So, so if we have 3,000 years worth of speeches about, um, about uh, Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim, that's one level of belief. If everyone ate matzah, ma- matzah doesn't get distorted. It's matzah, 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 something about the physical act that kind of carries itself through the generations. I want to finish with a Rambam about it. And about a, it, 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 will, it will, I guess, sum up for us a lot about the concept of emunah. Um, it is a Rambam that deals with Chukim. It's a Rambam at the end of Avoda. And I, it's always, it, it, for anyone who, people who claim that the Rambam, people who label the Rambam a rationalist, never learned Rambam. Um, b- besides the fact that the Rambam, even in Moron is a very, very passionate Sefer. It's something, it, 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 it reads so differently than, than the, the um, sort of technical philosophical texts, um, other ones, not, not important to mention by name, that kind of are lost in the world of philosophies and so on and so forth. The Rambam's ideas are powerful, they're deep, and, but more than anything else, they're consumed by a passion that is impossible to disguise. It's, it, it's a, it's a, it's a koel Hashem bakoach. The Rambam, at the end of Hilchus Mila, which is the end of Avod of Karbanis, he says that a person, he, he reflects a lot, I think, on the duality of Amuna, the way we've expressed it. He says, A person needs to think into Akarish Baruch's mitzvahs and try to understand them as deeply as possible. That's the rational factor. We start by understanding and thinking about them to the depths of what we can attain. 
The flip side is, somebody cannot come up with a reason or a cause, he should not make light of him. He should not push and go beyond what his self can take him because that is sort of desecrating HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He's going to try to use his mind to understand things that are beyond his understanding and will destroy them. And person needs to understand things that are secular. We, our seichel is the sole arbiter, and seichel is the only thing that that is correct for using. But when it comes to kodesh, we need to use a very different standard. Meaning, half is for you, half is for Kaddish Baruch Hu. Um, I want to, as an aside, Ram does not mention his chazal, mention a chazal that really metaphorically gives us over. It says that when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the mountain and there was the Chet Eagle, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tried to grab back the Luchos and um, Moshe Rabbeinu held on to it. And it says, Tutfachim were Moshe Rabbeinu's hands, Tutfachim were in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's hands, Kaviyachu, and Tutfachim in the middle. And the Maral uses this and explains that is kind of the bond of Torah. It's minashemayim as one side of it, meaning we accept it because the Kachbaru gave it. It is human seichel that's machria the halacha that's our self in it, and the mela. If we have both halves, then there is there are two tefachim where it's us and Kachbaru as one. It's a very very powerful metaphor of because it's, it's, it's like the muscle we gave uh, you and, and, and your spouse. Because it's a combination of you and the other, it's a very, very powerful um, luck. So the Ramam says you need to explore it to the extent that your Seichel can, and you need to understand that it's beyond Seichel past that point. The Ramam brings an extraordinary comparison from Me'ila, which is really, really um, extraordinary. Me'ila is, he, he found in Hulchus Me'ila the concept that Kodesh is treated differently than Chol. We have to re- understand the world consists of nature, facts that can be picked up by the senses and worked out by human reason, and then there's a world that transcends that, and we need to know those boundaries very carefully. That's what understands Me'ila. I'm skipping over parts of the Rambam, uh, a lot of parts. He says, and then he says, the Rambam says, Mishpatim are those things that we can understand, and we are, those are things that Seichel is the primary vehicle for it. Then there's chok, which are mitzvahs that we don't understand and we cannot understand. And then he says, the problem with it is, these are things that umas ha'olam ameshivin aleihem ve'yitzor shal adam nogfobehen. In other words, internally, we wobble with, that, with those mitzvahs. It's easier, it's easier for ourselves to kind of shake loose a mitzvah that's chok, and we're very affected by the goyim around us. And like I said when we started, I, I guess, um, a normal person is affected by what people think. And if everybody thinks that it's night outside, and for some reason I see it as day, uh, uh, so there are people that they get, they derive their chiyos from being bedafka. I'm the guy who said it's day when everybody said it was night. Th- those people tend to be labeled as eccentric, unusual, extreme, whatever you want to call them, and it's almost a definition of what they are. Most people would seem to feel that they give a lot of weight. If everybody seems to say different, I don't know, maybe I need a new pair of glasses, maybe something wrong with my eyes. Now, um, he says, 
and take a look. Then he, he finishes off with an extraordinary um, advice. He says, take a look at King David, at David HaMelech. David HaMelech was very, very uh, troubled. He was very, very tortured by the Apicorosim and the Goyim who would, um, would kind of uh, point at these Chukim and say they've got no sense. And he says, And as they kept um, persecuting him intellectually uh, with false um, with false tightness based on human reason which is limited what was his reply? He would be he would add more and more dveikas to Torah himself um, the, the Rishoyim tried to pour tried to, to, to attack me with falsities, I with all my heart will try to hold on to your commandments. Um, so the Ramam is saying here, there is no way that you can explain Chok to the world outside. Um, a person who is, you cannot explain things that are your relationship, a shabchan can give a very, very nice description of, uh, of an appropriate match, but no one can explain his relationship with his wife because it includes a lot of it that is just beyond explanation. It's, it, it, it's just the depth of, of, of human neshama and so on and so forth. So the answer to those type of attacks lie not in responses because no response can cover chok. A chok is a chok by definition. So it's not going to give itself over to response. The response will be quite lame. But you need to shore up your own relationship. What makes um, a marriage happy and stable is not outside reasoning as to why it's good or not good, but internally an eternal commitment. So the Rambam, the great, great, quote-unquote, rationalist, says when it comes to the world of Chok, which is especially very, very troubling because Seichel does not have a way to deal with it. Seichel is not the cleat. You can't eat soup with a fork. You can't use Seichel to deal with um, Chok. But Chok can be dealt with um, internally. Anybody who sat in an, a Torah environment, whether it's somebody that starts by being at a Shabbos table and watching the dynamics of a Torah family, anyone who has gone to davening and one thousand film and commit himself to davening. Anyone especially who's learned and got into learning and felt the combination of both um, devakus and intellect and learning, which is an extraordinary combination doesn't exist in any other format. Um, the commitment comes because of the inner commitment. So the reply for a person's emuna ultimately for many aspects of it lies in a personal strengthening of his commitment. It's not a commitment without seichel. It's not the type of attitude where it makes no sense, but I'm still committed to it. But it's built on a strong platform of reason, of, 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 of uh, his, historical mesoris, of, of many, many factors. But the relationship goes way beyond it. That is only a platform 
for building outwards um, emuna. Um, even though I guess this lecture is not meant to be time-based, but it is Erev Pesach, and I can't think of a better way to um, uh, to end it with than that's what Pesach is all about. A uh, person sits and recounts. This is over, you know. This is thousands of years that we, that every Jewish family sits with its children and tells them over the story of Kaliyosol and their own personal story. Um, someone told me the Belushev Rebbe would speak about the Holocaust only on Pesach night. He said, you can't live with it all year. You can't forget it. The appropriate time is it's part of the Tzias Mitzrayim of Kaliyosol. It's another Mitzrayim that we went through and went out. Um, that sense of it. Um, it's, it means that, on the one hand, we, we keep affirming, confirming, reaffirming the historical truth of it. And the other hand, the experiences a person gains from the matzah and the yayin and the mar and the charoises and, and the halal and the haggadah go way beyond those historical facts. Okay. <coughs> I had a question about Amuna. Um, Rashiva was suggesting the entire world operates on the moon. Okay. Yes. was suggesting that the entire world operates on a moon. It seems that the world operates on what the Rashiva called a business basis. That is to say, when I go to a doctor, there's no relationship beyond the simple exchange, although it's impractical for me to check every last reference. And the same thing when I go to a pharmacy. But the type of relationship that goes well beyond the, the way the Rashiva described it is an inverted iceberg. It seems that that does exist in each though, but I'm, I don't see how that applies throughout our experiences. Well, to some degree, we need to take things on trust. The word amuna, I guess, let's say that we substitute with trust. At some point, you need to take things on trust for society to be viable. Um, societies that don't have that level of trust um, just not viable. So there is an, a level. You don't say, well, it's it's irrational to take things on trust. Unless a person proves every single thing he said, unless you can prove to me that you graduated from this university and you actually had these years of practice and this and that, um, the world needs to function at a certain level of trust. So trust is not an irrational thing. It's, it's, it complements the rational, but it's, it's a mitzvah. Scientist. A scientist feels instinctively that if he's proven something in 5,000 cases, he does not have to prove the 5,001. Every scientific theory is built on the idea, you, you, you drive in a car because you, you, you feel that if the laws of physics have worked till now, they'll work further. There's no, there's, no, um, there's no rational basis for it. It's just something very strong that we can project from one thing, from the known to the unknown, there's a reasonable level where we can project. If I know a person, to be honest, I can project further. W will I be burnt? I may be burnt. But 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 the world won't function. You, there would be no credit ever given. There'd be no. The, it, it, you would have to watch your own bags. You couldn't check it in. I, I remember as a kid, I used to wonder, like, when when you pay a, a storekeeper money for a chocolate bar, whatever it is that you buy as a kid, I always used to puzzle, like, who should do it first? If if I give the money first, maybe I'll take the money and I'll deny that he ever got money from me, and he won't give me the chocolate bar. If the store gives me the chocolate bar first, I'm I'm going to deny that. Um, I got chocolate, and therefore I'm going to deny that I got chocolate, and I won't pay for it. So how does the work like to be perfect? Uh, uh, you know, like it, you, you be perfect. I don't know about escrow accounts at that time yet, but but the um, you know the, the answer is the, the, the world must to, for the world to function, it must work with a certain level of extrapolation from what is to what is probable. 
so it's when when somebody is has a muna built on seichel, that's not oh because you're a religious person you can but I'm I'm a rational person so I need everything proven. You don't need everything proven, and um, y- you know and you don't need if 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 society has a collective memory about Mitzrayim that's that's that that is built in and is and is and is and is carried out year after year and it's you, you don't say to yourself well but it's not proven. Um, but you need to start if Tanakh is given to us as uh, this, the skeptic is is taking skepticism and applying it to Torah in a way that would never apply to real life. Um, so he, there's a certain dishonesty in the way he's using skepticism versus trust. Um, that's I think there's a disparity between the two.